Hello and welcome back to Free Reeling, your movie-watching podcast with your two friends. I am one of the two friends, Jesse, and with me is your other friend, Matthew. Say hi, Matthew. Hello, how are you? I am tired, and this movie did not help that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how you mean. Uh, Matthew, I'm going to say how are you, but also what movie did you kind of uh, thrust upon me? This, so uh, I I see this. So when I when when I suggested this the last time, I kind of knew this had the potential to be one of those because everyone I've either talked about it with or shown it to has looked at me going, "What the absolute hell did we just watch?" Um, it is called How to Get Ahead in Advertising. Uh, it's directed by Bruce Robinson. It's uh, from nineteen. It's kind of like. A follow well, it's a follow-up effort to the movie with Nail and I. Neither movie is a, is related to each other, but the team behind both of them are the same. Um, and this movie is actually kind of an interest. It's at an interesting spot in uh, I'm I'll just say British film history because um, in the late seventies, uh, there I guess. I watched the documentary on the production company behind this called handmade films. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of a fascinating watch. I would recommend that as like just sort of an ancillary viewing if people are interested, but it started because, um, the movie Monty Python and the life of Brian had trouble getting funding and X beetle George Harrison happened to be a big fan of the Monty Python guys and said, Hey, uh, you're having trouble getting money for this movie. I'll pay for it. So he did. We get life of Brian, but then like Terry Gilliam started (laughs) making, he started, he made time bandits with handmade films. Uh, with nail and I came from handmade films. Uh, this came from handmade films. Uh, they also, put out some absolute clunkers one of which was uh, a famous madonna sean penn movie called shanghai surprise uh the story behind the production company is rather fascinating and um it's kind of a, a a weird it's it's a weird take on man i'm really tired of success at this point which is okay, odd, okay. which is odd from george harrison i think it is just on I think I watched it on YouTube, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's a so, it's a solid look at this production company and the movies behind it. I kind of wish they actually mentioned this film in it because when it comes to Bruce Robinson's efforts that I've seen, I've only seen this and With Nail and I, and I really prefer this one. Um, and I think that this is probably one of those super weird Matt films that uh, that I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on. Well, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I, I when I was watching it, I when, I when it first started in like the first 30 to 40 minutes of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was kind of going for like the player type of vibes where it's like this guy doesn't know that he's like in a parody of his own life. Right. In some ways. And then 
uh, Talking Boyle gets introduced. Yep. And then the movie gets very surreal and very British in a lot of ways. And like it's like it's like British surrealism is a lot stranger, I think, than other surrealism. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, for sure. And so, like getting to that part, I was like, "Ha! Huh, how do you talk about a movie like this?" Um, so yeah, I, I was I came off of it going like, "Man, it was a very strong first forty minutes, and then it kind of loses me." And then it gets strong again near like the last twenty, I think. Right. No, um, I think I think that's I think I mean I don't think that I think that if there are probably days you could ask me if this is among my favorite movies, and there are days I'll say yes, and there are days I'll say no. Uh, it probably just depends on how wackadoo I'm feeling that day. But uh, but yeah, I'm I did want to. Oh, never mind. Go ahead. Continue your thoughts. I'm interrupting you. I'm sorry. Oh, you're fine. I I, I just I was gonna say that I thought also while watching is Richard E. Grant has one of those voices and faces where I'm like I know I've seen this guy in like a hundred things, mm-hmm. but I've only seen him in two other things. Yeah, yeah. The player we saw we've watched him in a couple of films for this, haven't we? Have we? I know as he was he was in the he's, player. He's in the player. And then I and then I've seen him in Star Wars and I've seen him in Loki. That's about it. Why I don't know why, but for some reason, I think he's in the Prestige. And I he's not. He's why. definitely not in the Prestige. Yeah, and and, and, and like and but yeah, I'm he not, has. Yeah, like I just have this weird feeling. He has one of those faces and those voices. That you're like, this guy's just been in everything, hasn't he? And he, I mean, he's been in a lot. Yeah, but it's it's a lot of like kind of out there things compared to like. Star Wars and Loki. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like he's a, he's kind of an extension of, of like a, a Tim Curry career. Yeah. Where totally. He has like a couple of just out and out banger performances on screen. And then he probably just has a ton of voiceover work. Uh, I don't know much about his career other than the, the few films of his I've seen. I've not really gone out looking for it. Uh, I should probably do that. So since this was your movie, Matthew, how about you kind of guide us to like your discovery of it and then how you feel about it all? So I discovered this when I was getting into the Criterion Collection. I uh, a buddy of mine worked at uh, TLA Video here in Philly. It was it's an it was a really cool boutique like video store, and um, they had just about everything. So if I saw something in on the Criterion list that I was interested in watching, I could probably find it there and decide whether or not I wanted to buy it. Um, I saw With Nail and I and looked at this almost immediately after. TLA didn't have it, but Tower did. Hmm. So, and since I worked there, used my discount, bought it, uh, and I proceeded to just have my mind melted by this movie um and not at the time not so much for its content but just like the craft behind it because this was when i realized like there are actors that are just born to monologue and if you give them the right material, they can make just poetry. And Richard E. Grant in this film has four or five just absolute solid monologues. 
some of which I think belong in like probably great, probably among the list of like fifty to a hundred greatest just like film soliloquies ever. Um, and I, as I watched, as I watched this immediately, like I wanted to watch it again. I didn't um, because. My girlfriend, who would become my first wife at the time, was like, "I am never watching this again." <laughs> it's very. This is a very anti uh, significant other movie. Yeah, this is, this is. I mean, honestly, this is one of those films that I would throw up as a date movie, and then probably never date that person again. But, but luckily, Diana and I were pretty solid at the time. Um, but. On upon my second watch, I started to realize that it's it's kind of what it is on its face is it's it, it, yes it's anti consumerism, uh, but it's it's but it's also like uh, anti selling out, and it uses Bagley's you know role. Is like the ultimate. He's like the ultimate, you know, salesman, and he's given a pitch that all of a sudden he doesn't believe in. Yeah, and then that throws into question. He's like, "But I've never really believed in any of this. I've just, in, I've just believed in my ability to sell." And. Then he realizes, just kind of, it's kind of like that come to Jesus moment. Like, man, I've been a bullshit artist my entire life, uh, or at least like in my career, and I'm really good at it. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure I've been doing the right thing. Um. Now, ultimately, you know, the 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 boil is you know a metaphor for like all of the concentrated salesman isms in Dennis Bagley's life uh, manifested in one little spot that eventually just that eventually he's so he's so he he finds himself so afraid of who he's become that who he's become eventually just takes over and snuffs out the rest Um, and I and I really like that idea and I think because that idea is so strong, like, I look past all of the on-the-surface grotesqueness of this film. And yeah. I also I also like that um, in this tra- in in each section of Richard E. Grant, Dennis Bagley's transformation, you will see him like looking at himself in the mirror like there's the there's an early scene where he's in his office by himself trying to work on this pitch about a pimple cream um which is the which is ultimately his undoing um the pimple cream is not this speech but he's like looking at himself in the mirror and he will see himself and and he's like I believe this but then he will turn work through his little material for his ad and then look back again, and you and he will just see himself as the ugliest thing in the world. He's chain smoking because he's so stressed. Uh, he's holding two lit cigarettes at the same time because he's so stressed. Um, and he eventually, 
starts he starts kind of he starts kind of running from his business on his wife's advice who I think I think Rachel Ward plays a, a perfect you know corporate housewife in the in this not so not quite unlike that lady in the player uh, but definitely stronger of character and personality and it's clear that this is this isn't the first time that she's had to curtail her husband's bullshit. Um, but uh, but then he's he basically he he escapes his office to try and get a brief respite, but he ends up at his he forgot that he had had he and his wife have dinner party plans and I'm not sure he likes his friends very much at all i don't think he likes them at all (laughs) i i he stops just short of going man i hate you people a lot and yet here i am hanging out with you night after night for whatever reason um but uh and you just i just love the spiral out of control in this movie all of the reactions to that and I often just kind of think about how the direction went in it. Like, how does Bruce Robinson look at Richard E. Grant and say, okay, do that, but now we're going to get a little crazier. And I could just see, I could just see Richard E. Grant, you know, on set going, so I'm trying to thaw chickens in a toilet for dismemberment and we're going to get crazier. <laughs> it's movies like this where in high school when I did drama and I really enjoyed doing like some Shakespeare and some uh, some Mark Twain and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? If I get the opportunity in college, I, I think I could. I think I could do this acting. I'm, I'm pretty okay at it. I, I can I can memorize my lines. I can you can give the emotion that I need to. Yeah, I could be an actor if I really wanted to put my heart into it. And then you watch something like Richard E. Grant's performance in this, and you go, I could never be an actor. <laughs> I, I could never do something like this. Like, the the divorce of oneself to be this outrageous mm-hmm. in a movie like this is undeniably a talent, but also are you okay? <laughs> I, would yeah. like, like, I feel like people would have to ask Richard E. Grant that at the end of some of these scenes. Sure. Sure. And having, like, if I had seen this before with Nail and I, and this is just my own history with, with this, I don't think I would like this as much. But because I saw With Nail and I, With Nail and I, I think is, is a genuinely great film. Um, like, do I like how to get ahead of an advertising more? Yes, I do. But that's that's completely subjective. That's completely personal. That is just Matt's bullshit. Um, but what gets me every time, and this is where I'll first start mentioning scenes, every single time, this scene is kind of ingrained in me in a way that I will never fully be able to shake, but it's the scene where he's on the train. Oh yeah. And the dudes are reading the newspaper. And when I first saw this, it like shook something loose in me. It, 
it made me a lot more cynical. I think both for better and for worse. I'm not gonna. I, I don't. I, I don't think it's it's necessarily perfect to be super cynical, but basically these guys he's he he's trying to get out of his own head and then he's trying to f- quit thinking about boils and he does this little inner mantra to himself to try and quit thinking about it then the last thing he says is aloud and he disrupts a priest and two businessmen that are sitting in a train car with him and the priest he's sitting across from the priest the priest just looks at him like i don't fuck this guy's on about um and then it it cuts to the other two businessmen and they're like oh another drug orgy happened and then the priest goes were there any young girls involved uh i i apologize for that very poor accent i started putting on and then stopped because of better judgment um uh and and he said, and then uh, the guy reading the paper goes, "Yep, one found with peanut butter smeared all over her breasts, and they also recovered a bag with, I think, marijuana resin, and possibly heroin." And when he goes, or uh, he says, "And also a pork pie," and I was like, "What does a pork pie got to do with it?" And he's like, "Well, it could. There could have, for all we know, there could have been a pork pie in that bag." You just think that there's heroin in there because they said there they said a white powder may be heroin. The word is may. This is advertising, and it when and my twenty three year old mind when I saw this almost melted, and I'm like, oh, this is, and I I don't want to say that the, this is. I don't want to say that this film like radicalized me, but immediately I quit thinking about things a certain way after this. And I do I think that this makes it deep or or important? No, because a lot of those a lot we all come to these things in our own way. It's it's everybody's journey's different. I don't expect someone to come out of this beca- becoming an anti-consumerism leftist <laughs> because of uh, of a brilliant performance from Richard E. Grant. But all I know is reading that and seeing that whole thing play out, all of a sudden I'm like, "Oh, wait a minute." This is why this is why people hate marketing. This is why people hate commercials. This is why. And but then at the, on the on the same point, this is and we're you know we're we're less than three days from the Super Bowl. Yeah, like, it's coming up fast. Th- this is uh, the day we're recording. This is why Super Bowl ads are so good. At the same time, and it, it's also kind of like why. Like this movie kind of showcases why advertisement and things like that are the first ones to adopt the worst practices. Like some yeah. of the Super Bowl ads coming out are using AI to make people come back to life that were dead, and it's like, yep. why are we doing this? Can we not do this? Yeah, please. Yeah, let's not pretend that someone who passed away is the pinnacle of human existence. I'm not saying that we haven't had some, we haven't lost some good ones. Not saying that. What I am saying is we have to keep evolving, and doing that shit keeps us from doing so. Um, and uh, and 
this this is one of those movies that I love because it makes me think of questions. Um, doesn't necessarily answer any of them, but I, I, I love something that makes me curious. And this movie has always made me curious about several things, usually depending on when I watch it. Uh, this time out, like I was actually just really curious as to, to how the direction went. I wonder, I wonder like how I would like to see like a, a the original script that was that was submitted and really dig into the changes that were made because I kind of feel like that would be a fascinating I, read. My, my thing is like, why get surreal with it? Because the, the first half of the movie tries so hard to just show you his mental break and then it goes very surreal and it never really, and it never leaves being surreal and I'm I'm just curious what was the motivation behind that because I think if you kept the same path without going to the talking boil and then shifting the heads and then um, the one boil still being alive after being kind of cut apart and glued <laughs> together, um, it would have been it would have ended up being more impactful if we just watched this man spiral without any of that. You know what I mean? Yes and no, and and not to. I mean, I think the easy answer to your question is why not? Yeah, it's totally fair. Um, but and I and I think that this is this is a, a fine example of there's there's more than one way to skin a cat. I really like this mainly because of how the movie plays out. There's the moment where he's in his office and working out an ad before he goes to see Bristol for the first time. And I don't know if you picked up on this. I'm not I, I'm not going to I'm not going to assume you didn't. But the one thing that I always notice every single time is um he's like I think he he goes why, he in in his own mind he goes why do we need another boil cream? And then you hear the voice of the boil for the first time. He's like, huh. there, there are there are lots of boils in the world, Bagley. Uh, I can't do the accent. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but like that's that's what happens. And that little detail is a very sly indicator that he's he he's in conflict with himself. Like he knows he knows that. I mean, even with. Uh, even with even even at the train just prior to this or I think either just after or just prior to this scene, he's like, I've been stuck on, I've been stuck on boils for a fortnight. Everybody knows they're completely like uncurable. Like there's no quick fix to get away until they get one. And when they get one, they will try anything. And that's that's like the juxtaposition where you get the you get the hint of the boil voice in in that monologue then you get the the side of him that is kind of like speaking the actual I'll say the actual truth but like realize the the side of him that's realizing the problems with his profession yeah and then i believe this film uses that surrealist metaphor really well 
Um, because a lot of... I, I can imagine a world where someone, you know, goes to college, gets a marketing degree, comes out trying to be ethical and reasonable and, uh, and, and practice with, uh, I'll say good morals, but like, you know, trying not to do the evil shit to sell. And I'll, and I'll bet you that the, the, the ones who really go for success have this transformation. And I do like that, uh, Bagley's boss, Bristol says, I was, I was in your spot 15 years ago, had the same thing, different product. And it got to the point where I was so worried about, like, I think his, his boss says, I was so worried about spontaneous combustion that I drank 25 pints of water a day. I kept a bucket by the bed. I bought fire extinguishers for my house just in case. But then he took a, he took a break, came back and was better than ever. So one can only imagine how that transformation was for Bristol. It would have been it would have been interesting if they had Bristol there, um, just like I don't know. I'm losing my train of thought with it, but it, it's just interesting. That I would I would like it more of like the other uh, sales reps that we see, mm-hmm. the, the sales executives that we see have some kind of trauma already on them. So you can see that everybody's gone through some kind of uh, product trauma at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for it, sure. And be kind of just kind of like, but like you don't pick up on it at first, like slightly burned mm-hmm. because they spontaneously combusted at some Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They have, like, uh, they have like a physical scar or something. Yeah, just something slight that like until you realize that like, until the boil comes into play even more, mm-hmm. you realize all of these all of these men have gone through this process yeah. at some point. Yeah, I mean, and even early on when he's at lunch with his wife, she's like, "Remember, um, remember, remember breath, remember piles, remember all of the other things you've had to sell. You didn't have this trouble, or you had this. You had the same trouble." He's like, "No, those were easy compared to this." Um. But then fast forward to uh, when the trans when the transformation actually happens, like that. I will I will always concede that that scene is very unsettling. Oh, it's awful! It's the worst. It is. I've seen is, many horror movies with a very upsetting imagery, and that that's gonna sit with me for a yeah, long time. And 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 but like there's. I was watch. I'll tell you something. I was watching this out in the living room in mm-hmm. my house, and that scene started happening, and no one in my like in my living room was paying attention that that scene was happening. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "This is too disturbing." And I turned it off, and I went into my room. <laughs> like, I just like I couldn't let anybody else see that that scene was happening. Yeah. And there's a, there's a whole scene before that that I was watching with Richard Grant just naked walking around with his butt hanging out. Yeah, I was totally fine with that, but mm-hmm. then that scene happened. I'm like, nope, nope, this is private time. I got to move this into the room. Is that the one? Is that the scene where he has the apron on? Yeah, and he yeah, has and the he's shower like, cap. He, he's checking everything. He's, yeah. he's doing natural selection, and he's trying to get rid of products that have been corrupted by advertising. Oh. Anti-consumerist hero Dennis Bagley. <laughs> 
this movie's also like as much as it's about like how much we consume and the falsity of it all but it's mm-hmm. also about like obs- obsession and um uh, when, when did this come out the 80s 89 I feel like the 80s is like the start of the workaholic like like there's always been kind of the workaholic culture mm-hmm. but like the 80s is when it becomes fashionable Oh yeah, like I mean, I think that it kind of started with greed. Yeah, or I say no, not greed. Um, Wall Street and this the speech where Michael Douglas goes, "Greed is good" or whatever. Yeah, and so there's <clears throat> there's that also that secondary that eventually burns him down is like the obsession with work turns him into a monster, <laughs> a mustached yeah. monster. Yeah, um, and I also want to talk about that because like the symbolism of the good side of Bagley and the bad side of Bagley being denoted by a mustache. Yeah. Like, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for your service. Star Trek, the original series. I mean, it's, it's that it's one of those, um, it's one of those tropes and trope is an ugly word to me lately, but it is one of those tropes where like, it's, it's subtlety, right? Mm -hmm. Like she actually notices he's grown the mustache, but, she still thinks it's him because it's it's a subtle change. Yeah, and it's so like he's he's definitely not worse when the head shifts, but not that much worse. You know what I mean? Like yeah. w- w- the the worst the part why, the reason he's gotten worse is because the little bit of his humanity which was growing, and that's where the panic came from. Really, mm-hmm. gets sn- uh, snuffed out, and all that's left is the salesman. Yeah, and. That's why she's like, yeah, something's different about you, but not enough, <laughs> not enough different. Yeah. Well, and then, and then, well, it, it, I mean, there's a climactic scene where she eventually just bounces, and then you get a, a absolutely brilliant monologue to end the film, which, like, I, I think. There's a lot of there's a lot of weird shit in this movie, yeah. But if you I and you know and I, and I will say this, and I'm gonna I will say this. I don't think you can walk away if you are if you are a fan of movies, you don't walk away from this movie with absolutely nothing to show for it. I don't think. Yeah. I I think you I think you have, despite its its obvious B movie motif, um you get fantastic performances from all of the major roles. I think between Richard E. Grant, Richard Wilson and Rachel Ward, you get great performances from them. I believe, I mean, one of it's one of the most dynamic performances from a leading man and Richard E. Grant, like the monologues here are just chef's kiss. Um, and you even get like some of the absolute weirdest ideas after the transformation because he decides this is how we're going to sell the pimple cream we're going to forget about it for three months and find ways to make boils fashionable and he references lawrence of arabia movie we watched here um like i think it was the last movie we watched yeah it's the last one we watched (laughs) coming to lawrence arabia to this was a a weird whiplash yeah (laughs) what a what a car crash for your senses um but and then he just makes a late 80s pop star as a woman doing a very 
not great cover of My Generation by The Who. Oh, this movie's just so wild. I love its choices. I, like, I, f- I have a feeling that if, if we were... It, it, Roger Ebert, rest in peace, when he did, he did a great movie essay. I don't remember what, I think it might have been Detour. I'm not positive. But where he said, but like he opens it with like, if this movie were submitted as a final project in film school, that student would fail. Yeah. I think he would probably open a great movie essay on this film very similarly. Uh, that is, if he ever, if this movie ever came in there, which I don't think it would. I'm not, not crazy. Or at least I'm not that crazy. But this would be one of those. Yeah, you come out of this having some very weird thoughts. It it definitely ends up being those movies where, like, I appreciate that we watched it. Mm-hmm. And I probably will never watch it on, by myself ever again. But oh, it yeah. might be one of those movies where, like, I'm with my friends on a Friday night. And, like, you guys want to see something, you guys want to see something weird and kind of profound. <laughs> I hope one day in the hopefully not too distant future, I am on the West coast and I get to hang out with you and your buds and watch this movie. I would do that. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely like a bud movie. It's not like, this isn't a movie. I'm like, Oh, you know what time it is? It's time for my comfort movie. (laughs) And and I put on this. Yeah, no. Well, see, and, and I think that like, this is one of those movies that I would like, I'm glad this is on the criterion channel almost all the time. Because uh, I haven't had a chance to dig out my DVD of it yet. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, like I, I genuinely love this movie. And I knew kind of when I said this, I'm like, Jesse could probably hate me after this movie. I, we, I still think we've watched worse. I can't remember what the worst movie we watched was, but I, I feel mean, like I, we watched worse. I mean, I was going to say, if you were going to argue between this and The Descent... Oh, I like this more than this. Yeah, I was gonna. I mean, this set frustrated I, me. I know a lot of people like that movie, but the mo- mm-hmm. that movie just frustrates me. I mean, and if we want to talk about, I mean, if we want to talk about quality, I think someone would look at the movies we've watched for every episode, and I think they're looking at Phantom, going, "What?" <laughs> but Phantom's so good. Phantom is so much. I mean, Phantom and this are in like the same class of movie. I it's, think this is so much better than people give it credit for. Yeah, I Phantom mean, is what, very much so much better than people give it credit. It's for. It, it, it's it's in that category of when this came out, people were not ready. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the right call. It's the, like the, some of my favorite movies are the movies that came out, and it's like Marty McFly and Back to the Future is like you guys might not like this, but your kids. Are yeah, your kids are gonna it. love it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, speaking of the Phantom, just a real quick tangent. Well, you reminded me. Do, do you know the whole debacle with Dick Tracy? Uh, the movie? Yeah. Like how Warren Beatty like refuses to let it go. Yeah. Did you hear? Did you catch what like what's been going around the internet? No, today? no, 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 no. So no. for anybody that doesn't know, Warren Beatty for some reason loves Dick Tracy, which fair. Dick yeah. Tracy's a great comic yeah. character mm-hmm. um it made a, pr- a pretty good dick tracy movie that did not do well no it um, made a fantastic dick tracy movie that... madonna's great in that movie mm-hmm. um but he wants to keep the rights and so in like 2008 he did a tv special half an hour tv special where he played dick tracy in an interview with leonard moulton i believe um, what? 
<laughs> I, yeah, and that's how he kept the rights because he was playing Dick Tracy in the interview. And people have noticed that there is a TV listing for tomorrow, I think on AMC, that says it's called Dick Tracy Zooms In. And everybody's like, is Warren Beatty about to do like a Zoom Dick Tracy bit to keep the rights still? <laughs> is that what's about to happen? <laughs> what? <laughs> so, uh, so, so, wait, so, okay. So what a lot of, I'll <coughs> say, favorite TV shows did during the 2020 pandemic where they would do like a, a reunion special, but it's all over Zoom and everyone's in character. Yeah, like, but this like, is just Warren Beatty dusting off his yellow fedora right. and jacket this and being like, "I'm Dick Tracy." Late. <laughs> like, what are you doing? But it's just for him to keep the rights because he doesn't want anybody else to make a Dick Tracy movie. Like, Warren Beatty's such an interesting but also terrible person. Like, Warren, you're. you're the man single-handedly changed the movie industry for the better in some ways, but also. What a what a person! <laughs> you're you're Warren Goddamn Beatty. How can you not get this made? Um, I mean he's too old to do any of it now. No, I'm not not I'm just I'm not saying like for him to star. There are there are there are a good there there's a good crop of actors. His pride's um, too big to let anybody else star. Oh, though. for sure, for sure. I mean, like I think the rights are he, he's gonna die with the Dick Tracy rights in his hand. Um. And then it'll be an absolute mad dash for Disney copy. to be like, let's try it again. Yeah, Disney will buy it and be like, yep, okay, let's James Gunn write a Dick Tracy movie. I don't know. Um, um, yeah, that was just, that was just sad tan- a side tangent because I knew you'd appreciate that knowledge. I, I do, I do very much so. Um, do do we do we want to just swing into final thoughts because it's one of those movies where like it's it's pretty. It's it's a bizarre movie, but it's so upfront with what it's doing. Yeah. So I so I would encourage. This will probably be the only time I'll ever really just encourage listener interaction. Watch this movie, and then you find me on co-host and just yell at me about it if you like. I would appreciate that. Or send us just a, just send us an essay via or, email. Yeah, send, send us an email. I don't know, or you know, just send us a. I, By pigeon. Twi- my twi- my Twitter's still up, you know. I'll get the message if you send it. Uh, but uh, but yeah, like I would love to hear other people's takes on this. Um, not necessarily like this movie sucks, but but like I'm, just like thought, like deeper thought. I mean, it's one of those movies where it's like it, you're either like bounce off of it real hard, or you're like, okay, I can get behind what it's going for. Like I was, I, I was a big mixed bag of it, but sure. Um, I appreciate that. I was like, I've never watched it either. The way, so I really appreciate us watching these type of movies. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, I'll I'll always I'll, I'll be able. I'll, hopefully, I'll be good for at least one of these every so often because uh, I got we, a few under my belt. We'll get to them. <laughs> we get to these. You get to these just left, uh, like super far left of the middle ideas and met- definitely movies with weird methodology behind them, and you find. Really interesting discussions. I what's think. what's so interesting is everybody's so weird now. Like the general everybody is so mm-hmm. weird and good in bad ways. Sure. That like A twenty four is the the production company and um, Neon is the other production company that really makes movies like this. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But people are like, yeah, it's my favorite movie now because everybody's just so weird. <laughs> like, there's yeah. not a normal person out there anymore. Well, like, um, looking at yeah. A24, um, like, there's a there's a really good uh, documentary called The Z Channel, A Magnificent Obsession. And I think it was either the late it might have been the late 80s early 90s where are you familiar with the movie uhf yes i love uhf okay so this is basically a uhf story but it has nothing to do with the movie but this is this is just one man behind like a movie network and he's just like the ultimate fan of movies so he tried to just put put try and find the weird stuff and put it out um at least that's how i remember this documentary is 15 years old and i haven't seen it in a very long time but it is one it is one of those stories where it's just this one guy who has uh, who has his taste and he wants to just show it to the world a24 and neon feel like extensions of that idea okay ultimately like that's kind of the story of handmade films in a lot of ways like george harrison was not out there to be a director but he you know he found people he liked and said yeah you want to make that movie fine go ahead here you go and it's not like he was i mean it's not like he was throwing around mcu money i mean yeah i mean the, the I, I can only assume the Beatles royalties will will keep will keep his family pretty comfortable for a while. Um, but he was throwing around ex Beatle money for sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> George might have been like right bo- right above Ringo when it comes to maybe record but like he had some big solo albums oh he had he has the best Beatles solo album that's my opinion I mean but it, all- it, that I, I f- oh, this is maybe a tangent for another show but yes, that, that's a bit unfair sure. because Paul's <laughs> Paul's made more albums uh n- n- well yeah but quantity and quality don't no, that's what I'm saying. no I'm saying like, that's the only reason I say like he has a stronger discography is because he has like fewer just really strong albums yeah yeah and, and yeah George is the overlooked one I think it was weird I think the first person to do like really high chart numbers was Ringo I think that's a weird bit of trivia there um I don't remember there are aspects to that but uh, uh that that little nugget has left my brain but but yeah this th- i think this movie's really cool i'm glad you were at least a mixed bag and don't hate me for it no no uh, I'm, I'm really appreciative of it um but yeah uh and you know i would say go into this knowing you are going to get a performance unlike any other from richard e grant I mean, this is the reason I like. I feel like they saw this movie and they're like, "Yo, he should play the the comic book Loki." Okay, yeah, he but... should he should wear the underwear and the big horns and everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, now um, that now that you told me that Richard E. Grant's in the MCU, that makes me happy. I'm, I'm glad I mean, he's still. You should getting... probably just watch Loki. It's pretty. pretty I okay. you know I probably sh- I probably should probably should. Hopefully, um, I will one day, but. I, with with the kid, you never know. Yeah. Um. 
Matthew, what have you been watching? You've had a really busy life recently, so I don't know if you've been able to watch much. I we so I started watching uh, a, a new movie on Netflix called uh, You People. Okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And I'm like, I'll bet you. I get about half hour in. I'm like, I'll bet you Rebo like this movie. So get home, we watch it, and we are both kind of. We are both howling and fascinated because this movie is funny. This movie is is very funny at times, but it also hits very close to the bone, like in terms of uh, marriages of cultural differences. So the story is uh, Jonah Hill <clears throat> plays Ezra and Lauren London plays Amira. Ezra is... Uh, a Jewish man who works in finance and Lauren London is a Muslim who is black. So the, the movie spends a lot of time touching on interracial marriages and, you know, the differences between the families and the differences. And, 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 and I think that this movie, this movie is really good up until the final 20 minutes. Uh, and this is, this is going to be, I, and I think this, I think this is a movie that will probably have a lot of people talking about like, this is the conversation people should have. This is how we can, you know, build bridges between cultures as a society. I think that, uh, Jonah Hill and Kenya Barris. Kenya Barris directed this, uh, uh, but Kenya Barris and Jonah Hill wrote it. I think there was probably they probably set out to to have these very very tough conversations. I'm and I'm not insinuating that either of them co-signed this, but I feel like this is one of those few times where I hate saying I think the people with the money started meddling and said, you need to cut some of these real tough edges off. Yeah. Um, and I also feel like the, the, I also feel like the reason they shouldn't have cut the edges off because we have the potential to get a really great, uh, performance. I mean, the performance from Eddie Murphy in the movie is great, but I think you, you, if they start having more specific conversations to experiences rather than uh, falling into stereotypes, because I feel like I feel like Eddie Murphy's character and Julia Louis Dreyfus's character fall into you know very clear and very delineated stereotypes in a way that doesn't serve the film and and. I think the last I hate to spoil this cuz I'd like to hear your thoughts on it but there's a moment where they're about to get married. They're at a rehearsal dinner and Lauren London and Jonah Hill respectively have had enough of their yeah. in-laws and they confront them individually, not together. And then come back together and do the we need to talk and they break up at their rehearsal dinner okay now this 
this part hit me very hard. Not and I've so I've not been in uh, a relationship this culturally different, so I'm not going to pretend to understand the experience. But the cultural differences I've had in my experience, just like with Reba's family, because they they are Jewish, I am not. Uh, my ex-wife's family, who was Romanian, Greek Orthodox, I am not. I think there's a way to tell this story that is consistent with the first two thirds of the film that they don't do. Mm-hmm. Because, and I know that in, in certain family dynamics, parents have a lot of power, even when the children are adults, but Jonah or um, Ezra and Amira are in their thirties. Like they are whole ass people living away from their parents and it did not, it, I did not, I did not feel their parents having that kind of influence in their life. Yeah, I can totally get that. And it, it, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. All I'm saying is that experience felt way too general and way too boilerplate for the parents to just all of a sudden go, hey, we've been talking. Y'all are good for each other. Why don't you go get married right now? We have a whole thing set up. And then they do it and everybody's happy ever after. Um, and I, and it, it just, it just like through two, the first two thirds of the movie, these people are, these two are a couple. They, they, I saw, I saw so much of like the best relationships I've had in them. And I, and I, I'm like, these guys don't give a fuck about the bullshit their parents are bringing. I think they're still trying to figure out a way to talk about it. And then the, the moment where they say, where you could say that they should finally talk about this and maybe just come together and have, have it out. They, they cop out and that it broke my heart a little bit. Um, and I'm sorry. I know we don't normally go into that much detail, but like that film I mean, it's probably a testament to it being good that I thought this much about it. Uh, I, I just... I think that there was something else and something greater there prior. And then this is what was released, for better or for worse. I've definitely heard some mixed things about, like, just the some of the content in it so i am curious to give it a go because i thought the trailer was pretty funny yeah i mean there's some shit in there that i am i absolutely think is hilarious and and like i mean i it's the first letterbox review i've done in a while i didn't write one out but i gave it a three star on letterbox and i feel like that's the that's the right thing for the way i feel about it um but i think that there's there's a there is a better, there is a better, stronger discussion to be had when you boil these topics down to an individual experience, rather than trying to speak to um, the black half of an interracial marriage or the white half of a, of an interracial marriage. And I think they point out 
the easy pitfalls for both sides to fall into but it just becomes so so bland and not and not pointed it's just like oh you're just doing i mean they're half of the half of the time julia louis dreyfus is just playing a karen and you know and it, and it's a karen who's trying to not be a karen but failing at it miserably yeah uh, and you know and uh, eddie murphy at times he comes off as a not so great version of Lawrence Fishburne's role in Boys in the Hood, or Boys in the Hood, if you've ever seen that. I have not. Um, Lawrence Fishburne does his, his in that movie. He's a great performance, I think. Uh, but this just feels like a lesser version of that because there's because it's just aiming at catching a wide, casting a wide net rather than just saying this is an experience that can happen or, or Julia Louis-Dreyfus being a singular experience. It's just, it's all just like, mm. and I, I, I wish they went just further with it rather than just trying to cast a wide net. Uh, yeah. I could, I could totally see what you come from there. Okay. But yeah, that's, that's really all I've watched. Um, I do know that, there's a, a pretty cool Bill Russell documentary that just aired on Netflix or just be, went live on Netflix yesterday, and I'm excited to watch that. Bill Russell, the basketball player, right? Yes, that is correct. That, speaking of that, this is a shout-out to another podcast. There's a podcast, lovely podcast, called This Is Love that just put out a Bill Russell episode. Um and does some interviews with people he coached and people he played with and like just about how much he was loved. Um, recommended if you like that kind of stuff. I, I do. I've never heard of this is love. So I guess I guess it's I... all about sweet stories about people that love people. Awesome. Love that. What have you been watching Jesse? Uh, you know me and my pet. My, my thing is I watch stuff to kind of de-stress and lately it's been a high stress kind of week. Um, <laughs> So, um, one couple of movies I want to talk about, not movies. I'm not going to talk about the bad movies I watch because I watch them stinkers. Um, I watched Mean Streets. Okay. The, one of the earlier, uh, Scorsese's. Mm-hmm. Might be, isn't that his, is that his first No, one? I think it's like his third. Or, was, it was, it's, or no. It might be his first after, big one. That was after Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And that was yeah, his first yeah. big one, I believe. But, uh, I don't think I've ever seen an itchier young actor than Robert De Niro in this movie. I mean, like, I feel like the Safdie brothers saw Robert De Niro in this and goes, okay, that's our, that's our, that's our whole shtick now. Yep. Um, yep. he's just so young and so itchy in this movie. It's mm-hmm. kind of amazing. And then Harvey Keitel is just really good. He's, he's very good. Yeah. yeah it's really weird. Cause sometimes Harvey Keitel just sounds like Scorsese and I don't know if Scorsese like 80 yards some lines or something. <laughs> <laughs> he probably, you know, that I've never thought of. I've never thought of it like that. That's really that's wild. Um, I rewatched Everybody Wants Some, the Richard Linklater movie. That's kind of a spiritual successor to Dazed and Confused. Okay, about a college I've, baseball team in the eighties. I've never seen that. So, 
Um, it, it was interesting because like when we were at, I was at a friend's house and he's like, hey, we, let's watch the movie you lo- you loaned me to watch. And I'm like, oh, which one? He's like, everybody wants some. And I looked around the room and I go, are we sure we want to do that? <laughs> like, because it's like <laughs> it was a bunch of like it was a bunch of cool people, but they're like, this movie one has no point. Like most Richard Linklater, like the greatest Richard Linklater movies, like yeah. it doesn't have like a general plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, it's Richard Linklater being realistic to the time, so just a rampant amount of sexism in the movie. Um, oh, 100%. And so I'm, like, sitting there, like, kind of shrinking in my chair, and then, like, halfway through, I was like, these guys are, these guys kind of just rock. The dudes kind of rock. And I'm like, yeah, this is a dude's rock movie, even though they're terrible. They just kind of rock. Yeah. Um, it sounds like Slapshot. Yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> and then continuing on my... Um, Danny Boyle watched through with blank check. I watched a life less ordinary. Oh, wow. I haven't seen I, that in a while. I, I, I learned that they added on all the angel stuff at, after the fact. Yeah. Like, and that makes a lot of sense. Sure. <laughs> um, but then something that else I've been doing is I've been cleaning up my Michael Mann, uh, filmography. Cause I realized okay. I only have like a handful left. All right. So, so I watched the last of the Mohicans. Uh huh. It's pretty pretty good. I mean, it's not like perfect, and there's no. of course some stuff in it. There's some problems, yeah. It's it's kind of compelling, like how he shoots that. Mo- Coming from Manhunter to Last of the Mohicans mm-hmm. is kind of wild. Yeah, that's a, that is a leap. And then I watched Heat over two nights because it's a long movie. Yeah, Heat's, um, Heat's really long. Is Heat? like the best heist movie ever made like it has to be one of them right like it has to be top five for a lot for any uh, reason so it's, it's hard a... because it's not a heist movie it's about the people who make the heist and the people that capture them but it, like the heist there's like a, barely a heist in the movie yeah like i th- i think they're I hate to i've done this a couple of times on this show but i think that there are the there there's there are the films that are held up like Moses and the Ten Commandments by just f- film bros. And I think Heat is one of those. And I've seen, I mean, it's, I think I watched Heat in the 90s at some point, And I have not seen it since. I've wanted to watch it since, but anytime I've had the opportunity, I've looked at it and go, do I need to watch this again? I don't know, man. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad film. I don't remember no, any th- any part of it being bad. But when I feel like in this in this day and age when a lot of people are talking about or well, when the film bros are talking about the greatest movies ever, these are the same people who would hold up heat but then never watch a movie like Le Cirque Le Rouge or Oh or, yeah, or, or I, I totally get that. Or even even like like fucking thief, they wouldn't even watch that. Yeah, I, I, and I think what he does for at least man's kind of trajectory is take all the the really fantastic parts of thief and manhunter, and then make them just brighter. Because honestly, like a lot of heat is filmed at night, which is funny, but it's like a pretty yeah. bright movie in a lot of shots. Mm-hmm. But not just that, like man's like you know what? let's just like let's make this so real that it's upsetting 
Yeah. Um, and when they're fire, when they're having the gunfight on the streets of LA, mm-hmm. those guns sound real. <laughs> yeah, they sound like they are right next to they, you. They they sound like <clears throat> you are in the middle of a, of a war, and it, it's it's just kind of fascinating how much stuff he's done in that movie. And I think the uh, the struggle with that movie is like it's written like a TV pilot. Yeah. And a lot of the 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 women leads in that movie are written. Ashley Judd's like the only kind of compelling woman in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a struggle too with this day and age. But just but when that that scene alone between Pacino and um, De Niro at, mm-hmm. talking about like they know that they they have a mutual respect for each other as cop and robber. Yeah, that whole scene. If you if that scene was the movie. That's like a five star movie still for me because they're oh, 100%. just so like, they're just so on it and and even Val Kilmer's pretty on the ball and then you have a pretty just stellar supporting cast that are on it for the most part it's just yeah I thought I've told you like some people are like just too hype about it yeah but it's definitely one of the better crime movies and I, I was watching with a friend and he goes so when does this come out and I go 95 he's like wait this didn't come out like in 2010 <laughs> like yeah right <laughs> like, that's how that's how hard this movie holds up it's just like it could have came out yesterday and it looked and it just feels that good still yeah in that, in that sense yeah and and yeah I mean I'll have to watch it again and you know, hearing you talk about it kind of makes you want to do it. Uh, so, so maybe by the next time I will have watched Heat, and I'll say like, "Hey, you know what? All that stuff you said about Heat, pretty, pretty right." I'm, um, I'm, I'm almost done with the Insider, and the movie that is after this. And he's, like, and again, it's him just taking stuff from Heat and being like, "Yeah, but what if we put it to a true story?" <laughs> the Insider is that the Russell Crowe? Yeah, that's the Russell Crowe okay. one. All right. Oh, I'm thinking of uh, Inside Man. Is the Spike Lee? That's one. also great. That's the Spike Lee one. I love yeah. that movie. Yeah, but yeah, um, I I don't think I've ever seen The Insider. So it, it's it's pretty it's pretty good. And then like it's it's one of those things too where like this is the era of Pacino, where he's loud and in your face for the most mm-hmm. part. He's always been loud, yeah. but he's like really loud and in your face. And man, just getting these really kind of complex performances out of him. Yeah. Um, even if he's a bit silly, especially in Heat with um, his monologue at one point. Um, I don't know, man. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. What else? That, that, that was it. That was the last movie I watched. Um, and I watched some pretty terrible. I've been making my way through those Disney anime movies. And, man, you hit a really ugly dry spell for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. D- yeah. <laughs> and there's There are some absolute clangers in that in that catalog um weird just because i'm thinking about it uh a, a weird but oddly compelling performance from pacino is when he's in the movie merchant of venice Ooh. now i don't remember this movie being all together that great uh i saw it when i worked at an art house cinema in philly uh for free and mm. I, and i only saw like three quarters of it but i remember just every scene with pacino just chewing everybody else off the frame like it was it's a pretty i'd have to watch it again but uh i that's just sticking out in my mind i mean it's kind of interesting because we're talking about heat pacino's kind of out there 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mean Streets, I was talking about De Niro being so itchy, but De Niro is like the most calm throughout Heat. And oh, it's, yeah. it's maybe the calmest okay. I've seen De Niro in anything yet yet i mean i've i haven't seen some of the bigger ones still but like he's so calm in that movie yeah he's pretty he's a he's a rock in that movie if i remember correctly um he's he was kind of that way through a a lot of the 90s he was just a rock of a performer and i i I think some people can kind of talk about pacino and de niro's later career but like they still got it when they want it man oh yeah 100 percent. like i mean like with LeBron James getting the record that he just got, you know, passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the all-time NBA scoring champion. Uh, like De Niro and Pacino have that—that's that's who they are as actors. Like they, if they if they want if they want to come out and smoke you, they'll do it. Uh, but it's a lot of the time it's just getting them to do that. Yeah. Um. So Matthew. We have a, a little kind of complication coming up. You're about to have a kid. I'm about to have a kid. My coworkers surprised me with a baby shower today, and now everything is all too real. <laughs> so we're going to try to watch one more movie together. Matthew, what movie are we going to try to watch so together? So we're going to try to watch, and this is appropriate, uh, Baby Boom. Uh, it stars Diane Keaton, uh, brief performances from Harold Ramis, uh, and others. It's from the eighties. And, uh, I, I, we were talking about it. Like, is there any good, I think you said, is there any good baby movies? And I know recently, um, Reba and I watched the Hugh Grant, Julianne Moore movie, nine months. Uh, when you are when you are in the midst of a, having a child, don't watch Nine Months. It's not good. <laughs> um, but uh, but I will say, Robin Williams in that movie, fucking awesome. Um, because he's he just can't be he can't not be hilarious even when he's acting in a drama. Um, but uh, there were other ones that I remembered that came to my mind. But I'm like, I remember liking Baby Boom a lot. So my mom made me watch that when I was younger. So I, I chose that for us. Okay. So <laughs> oh, I don't, I will say this. We won't come out of baby boom thinking anything about I, like, <laughs> like yeah, how I'm we curious, thought. I'm curious. Cause that movie just seems like the most like, I get, we got to rent a movie from blockbuster type of movie. Yeah. So I'm no, hundred percent, hundred percent. This is like, hmm, this looks all right. This, you know, might not offend the family. Let's see what happens. But this is uh, now my open call. We might go on hiatus while Matthew has a kid and gets used to being a dad. But yeah. if the try not to, this is an open call for any people who listen to the show and know us. Um, feel free to drop a message to the main Twitter account or to our personal Twitter accounts that you want to come on and talk about a movie. Yes. Because I will still be available to watch movies and talk about them. Mm-hmm. And Matthew does uh, need stuff to listen to. So, uh, yeah, just let me know and we can set something up. And, again, there's no movie that is off the table. And if you want to revisit something we've already talked about, that would be interesting. Oh, yeah, that'd uh, be cool. So, yeah, just let us know. 
uh, <laughs> Matthew? Come back and make Jesse watch The Phantom again. Let's do it. Let's do a triple feature. Tr- I dare you. I dare someone to come on and make me do a triple feature of The Phantom, Dick Tracy, and The Green Hornet. Oh, no. Save that for when I'm back. No, okay, we'll I, 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 I want to do that. No, uh, before before I get out of here. So I'm looking at the, the Wikipedia page for baby boom written by nancy myers so the bona fides oh, okay like, this, I, we're, this, we're gonna have fun we're yeah fun. Th- this is not gonna be a bad time directed by charles shire couldn't tell you uh but like you know nancy nancy myers puts out good stuff in my opinion um <clears throat> but anyway uh you can find me on cohost.org predominantly it's cohost.org slash infinite dash rewind they don't do underscores uh, or the trivia or tri- <laughs> uh, the free reeling it Twitter account at free reeling it. And then, you know, you can email us here, free reeling it at gmail.com. And uh, that's how you can get in touch with me. I also am lucky enough to co-host a couple other podcasts with buds. Uh, first and foremost, trivial merit with Jesse's and my friend Caroline. We talk about music and we make playlists of artists or a style uh, or just a theme, like we did a covers episode, um, where we try and make a playlist that gets us feeling, uh, or that gets us from a negative headspace to a positive one in about eight songs. Um, we recently did Tom Petty. Next, we are doing Enya, and then we have if if we're able to do it before the little guy comes, uh, we have a special. Uh, Caroline curated season closer. Uh, I will save that for when it for when details are announced. And you can find me wherever I put links into the show notes. I don't remember any of my usernames. I just link them into the links there. At sleeper of the bed on Twitter. At sleeper of the bed on co-host. I do know those. And I think it's that sleep over the bed for Mastodon, but I'm just barely on anything. And lately I haven't really been tweeting much other than just retweeting things I see as I scroll down the feed. Yeah. Um Uh if you if you like the show, rate it wherever you listen to. I don't think we ever said that before. Matthew, no. who does our theme song? Um My buddy Jason. Um he goes by the name Deadeye, D E A D dash I, all caps when you spell the man's name. He's on Bandcamp, he's on Spotify. His new album came out in 2021. It is called Bloodshed Kingdom. It's very good. Our theme song's on that album. You can also check out work he did prior with a duo called the Hope Street Steppers. They released an album in 2013 called Black Lightning. It's one of my favorite reggae albums of all time. And uh, he puts out really great music, I think. And I'm excited to see what he does next. I know he's currently working on stuff but he's also trying to be a dad himself as well as be a nurse so uh yeah support him he i think he does good work and it's not just because he's a friend of mine i actually think he's very very talented he's definitely more talented than he will ever give himself credit for being and remember everybody if you're struggling with your identity in life or your work ethic just ask yourself What would the boil do?